this week we're going to talk about the three calls um, that we receive as followers of Jesus. I want to, and I've, I want to share them with you and kind of differentiate a little bit, maybe some things that we've heard in and around church world about what those, um, what those things are. So the three calls that we hear as followers of Jesus. Um, I'm going to ask that we pray one more time as we get into God's word, that we would have eyes and ears to hear what he'd have for us today. It wouldn't be my words, but his words that would make an impact in our lives. Pray with me again. Father, uh, for the time we have now in your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would dwell richly in me and in all those who are listening this morning, that you would be the one communicating to us your truth for our lives, and that we would learn from you, that we sit at your feet, that we honor you, we worship you, and we want to know what you have to say about who we are. I pray that my words would be stopped and your words would be spoken. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be the teacher and we would all be the learners together. We pray this prayer as followers of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this third week, we're going to talk about um, these three things, and I think I might have them up here first. Let me see if I did it right. Yeah, so the three calls that we have in our life is to be disciples, to be witnesses, and to be evangelists. And I want to talk about those three things because I, I was thinking about them over the last few weeks and thinking about how we kind of muddy those things up a lot. You know, you'll say, well, well, one is the other, and we use them interchangeably sometimes, especially witnesses and evangelists and, um, and disciples, really. We use all those things interchangeably, and, and they're kind of distinct uh, roles or calls that we have in our lives. And so the first thing I want to talk to you about this morning is this, the call that we have as we follow Jesus to be disciples. Now, you'll remember with me that um, when Jesus first called people... It, the word disciple isn't found in the text, but he calls men from their work. And he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, right? Disciple makers. What Matt talked about last week was that we're called to be makers of disciples ourselves as his disciples ourselves. And so we recognize that um, is, is a huge thing. Now, lest you think that <clears throat> disciples isn't, so we're going to differentiate these a bit. But unless you think the disciples isn't a really big deal, it's the biggest deal in the New Testament, right? Um, I looked it up, and I think it's something like 294 times the, the word disciple appears in the New Testament. That's a lot, a lot. And, and this was referred to by Jesus himself. Um, there are some things we'll talk about with how it, it was, it was um, happening beyond Jesus' own, own followers. And... Uh, and it was continued to be mentioned in the epistles that were written to the churches. So we know this is a really big deal that we're called to be disciples. Um, I've shared with you before, Family Bible Church, the root word of being a disciple is a learner. And I've shared this with you too before, but I'm going to say it again. I love that because it means that we are all qualified to be disciples of Jesus. You have to have a teachable spirit. That's what the word says, right? If you are open to being taught, to, being, to learning together, to learning from Jesus, you can be a disciple of Jesus. Um, over and over again. Sometimes we think of the 12 disciples as being the only disciples, but that's not what the scriptures record. Um, over and over again, people came to him to learn, to listen, to be taught, uh, to be instructed, to be changed. And they would learn from Jesus. Now, I told you that um, one thing I want to share with you right away is that not all disciples in the New Testament are Jesus' disciples, which is interesting to me. Um, the one that comes to mind most clearly in the Gospel of Matthew is John's disciples. There are several times that the word records that John's disciples came to Jesus and asked questions, right? I can think of at least two occasions where for sure they came and they asked Jesus questions as disciples of John. That means they were not, they were asking Jesus questions, but they were ultimately under John's teaching authority. And the reason I say that to you is I say that I think that 
Same truth can be held today in our lives. The question we could ask maybe is, um, what are, who are we disciples of? Who are you learning from, right? And, and many of us will have people in our lives that we're discipling. We don't call it discipling, but we're learning from. We're learning from our boss at work, or we're learning from our spouse, or we're learning from some, uh, someone else at school. We're learning from our professors. There's someone that we're learning from, and there's that reality that you're in a teaching-learning relationship with that person, and that's fair enough. As a matter of fact, sometimes in church world, um, the, 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 uh, the, whole, the whole thing I do, preaching on Sunday, people call teaching on Sunday, and therefore, you're learning under me. You would say, well, yeah, I'm learning under Bill. I want to say something to you this morning about what I find is so important in the Gospels and so important for our lives, and it's this, that you and I, all of us, need to be learners of Jesus. Learners of Jesus. I love awesome preachers. I love men and, and women who can like take the word and just tear it apart and lay it out. And we're like, we all look at all we can learn from them. It's amazing to me to hear the word taught rightly. I'm always humbled by that. Whenever I'm just like, wow, it's so huge and such a gift. And man, many of you will come to me and they'll say, hey, I heard so-and-so on the radio or I saw so-and-so on YouTube or I was watching this thing. And you'll talk about your favorite teachers. That's awesome. And, and I think that you can recognize, yeah, you're just being discipled by that person in that moment. But ultimately, our desire is that we learn from Jesus, that all of us learn from Jesus. <clears throat> and so I wanted to make that clear. It's too short of a thing, and Paul says that, right, to say, I follow this person or I follow that person. Man, there are a lot of awesome preachers and teachers out there, but ultimately what we want to do is we want to learn from Jesus when we're listening to those people. We want to be disciples of Jesus and not give ourselves that second tier of disciples of some person. So that's the conviction I want to share with you, you know. Nothing wrong with John's disciples, by the way, in the, in the Bible. They never reprimanded for being disciples. But I think it's interesting because ultimately, John's the one who said, you know, one greater than me is here, right? And so um, we want to learn from the, from the teacher himself. And I want you to know that that's true of all of us. We can do that stuff together. All right, the second thing is, and I'm going to share uh, some scripture here. Um, this is all rooted in scripture, by the way. That was in Matthew 9, 11, and 14, where John's disciples had come and talked. Um, but this one, I want you to look up with me, if you would. Um, the Gospel of Matthew, I didn't put my page numbers in, uh, chapter 12, uh, 46 through 50. We're going to read this little story and then talk about um, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus from his own teaching. I'll give you a second to get there. All right, Matthew 12, 46. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. And someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak with you. Very efficient. 48. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then pointing to what? His disciples, those who are learning from him, he said, here are my mother and here are my brothers. Verse 50, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. That's an interesting passage of scripture. And I know in some times it's been used, and even my own life, to be honest with you, as a way to kind of um, de-escalate the, the uh, status of um, Jesus' mother and brothers. You know, like we are all God's family. But I want you to see that that's what he says here. That ultimately, disciples are family. And, and we're going to talk about why that is, but I think that was really powerful in there that disciples are 
the family of Jesus. It's about being his family. And, and we're going to talk about why that, why that is. But one of the things that he acknowledges is that the reason, the qualifier, that these disciples, when he says he's not, because, you know, Mary was like a faithful woman, right? You read this, the Gospels of Mary. She was a believer in the power of God. But he says, these are my family, my brothers and sisters and mothers, who obey the will of my Father, right? The ones who obey the will of my Father. Which all of a sudden we have to go, okay, so another mark of a disciple of Jesus is that we obey the Father. Jesus' ultimate goal in his own life was to glorify his Father, and he desires that his, those who had learned from him would do the same. As a matter of fact, if you think about Jesus and his teaching, he says this. The disciples, they come and they say, Jesus, you have this awesome prayer life. How can we pray like you? And he says, oh, when you pray, pray like this, our Father, right? Ultimately, include yourself in the family. Talk to God like your loving Heavenly Father. Jesus is your brother. That's pretty radical for me as a, a learner, a disciple. I go, wow, so I can sit with um, Jesus at the Father's feet. Now, what's funny is we know Jesus is fully God and fully man, but here his example, his model is, yeah, you're included in the family. If you're learning, which are my disciples? Those who are learning from me and learning to what? Obey the Father. Honor the Father. That's the goal of discipleship. So all of a sudden we realize that being a disciple is being family with Jesus. Now, you might have caught it already. There's some intimacy involved there, isn't it? Like, um, I, I remember one time I heard something about dressing up for church. And, um, and this isn't to prove me right or wrong or anything. I promise you that. But um, there was a, the famous story where um, a, a pastor thought you should always have a tie on, you know. And he said to his son, who's also a pastor, he said, um, he said, if you went to meet the president of the United States, you wouldn't go in jeans and a T-shirt, right? You would wear a tie and a suit. You would look appropriate. And the son, who was also a pastor, they were both pastoring father and son, different churches, said, well, you're right, but if the president was my dad, I'd wear jeans and a t-shirt. I'm not saying I have to prove you don't have to wear a suit to church, but I'm saying that there's an intimacy there. You're not going before God the Father as this estranged, distant, but no, as the one who loves you and made you. And, and, and matter of fact, and you'll know that the word says, um, Daddy is the way that, that um, Jesus referred to his father, calls us to refer to his father. So there you go. So it's intimate, intimate, right? Well, the second thing that I want to share with you is that um, disciples are intimate learners, right? And um, I'm not going to look at this right now, but in the Gospel, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13 um, is one place, and it happens more than one place, where the disciples um, go with Jesus after he teaches the crowds, and they say to Jesus, what does that mean? You know, I told you before, I don't think it was week one, that he doesn't mind redundant questions. Like, he doesn't mind you keep asking until you understand. Like, admitting ignorance is asking questions. I don't know what that means. I don't know how this works. And many times, the disciples would come to him in these intimate, smaller gatherings. They'd say, well, Jesus, I know we've been hanging out with you for all this time. I know I should know better, but uh, I don't know what that means. What you told those people, what does that mean? And Jesus says, let me explain it to you again. And he explains again the parables, the teaching he gave to the crowds. 
to the disciples. So it's a space of intimate learning. And I want you to realize that because sometimes in church, we feel like we have to have all the answers. We have to have it all figured out. And if we're challenged by those who are believing or not believing, they both will challenge us. We go, I have to have all these answers. But the truth is that we are permitted, being disciples of Jesus, to return to him in the quietness of our hearts, our homes, our prayer closet. We can say, I don't know. What does that mean? And the God who loves us will answer. He will instruct us. And we can believe that. So we have this opportunity for intimate learning. There's no such thing as a stupid question, um, which is awesome. And uh, we can learn uh, together. The second thing also happens in Matthew 13. I think I have this one on the screens for you. Is that um, everyone has a chance to become a disciple of Jesus. So for all of us in this room right now, the discipleship opportunity exists for all of us. We can become disciples of Jesus. And I thought this was really striking because I found this in the Gospel of Matthew. It says, um, Jesus said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law, now you will think that would be a Pharisee or someone like the Pharisee, who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like. And he gives this illustration of what it, it looks like. But I wanted to, I was like, wow, it's not who might become a disciple or who could become a disciple, but every teacher of law who has become a disciple of Jesus. Matter of fact, um, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, was one who was a teacher of law that became a disciple of Jesus. And he would say, came a disciple as one abnormally born, meant he was a disciple after Jesus had passed and was raised. That Paul became a disciple much like we do in a real tangible way. So that's a really cool word because that means that we can all become disciples of Jesus. I hope you get that. No matter where you are in your life right now, no matter if you're a believer or a non-believer, you can become a disciple of Jesus. Jesus, will you teach me? We're going to talk about how you can do that in a moment. But Jesus, will you teach me? Jesus, will you show me? Jesus, are you real? Jesus, where are you? Jesus, why is this happening? We all have opportunities to learn from him directly. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The last thing I want to share with you is that um, disciples can get it wrong. And uh, I love this. This was in Matthew 19. And there's so many more examples. There's 294 times in the New Testament. But um, multiple times, the disciples, those who are learning from Jesus, would get, what do you call that? Like um, uppity? <laughs> I don't know. Above their pay grade. <laughs> and they would start to tell Jesus what was up. Um, Jesus taught, right? No teacher is above his uh, master. Or no student is above his teacher or slave above his master, right? It's enough to be equal. It's enough to understand what they understand. But the disciples rebuked Jesus. There was two times that it stood out to me. One was that he re they rebuked him over the children. They rebuked the children when they were trying to come to Jesus. They didn't rebuke Jesus. They rebuked the children. And then Jesus corrected them. No, what are you doing? So I wanted you to see that disciples can get it wrong. And that means if you're like me, you get it wrong. And it's okay when you get it wrong as long as you're still learning. That was a mistake. I didn't do that right. Um, and the other time was Peter, God love him, rebuked Jesus directly when Jesus said, I'm going to die on the cross. And Peter says, no way are you doing that. So J Peter himself, a disciple, was trying to teach Jesus something about what's going to happen. And Jesus rebukes Peter. And ultimately then forgives Peter for that, for that um, kind of uh, uppityness, whatever you call it. <laughs> so we can get it wrong. And uh, we shouldn't be so disheartened when we do get it wrong. We should be like, well, you know what? Okay, let me learn again. That wasn't right. Let me learn again. So the question that I said, all of us can become disciples. How can you and I become disciples of Jesus directly? I want to lay this out for you real quickly. 
Um, the first is that you, you need an intimacy with God, right? And, and I, I mean to say that you need to stop acting like God is something somewhere out there and that God is an active living God in your actual real life day to day. When you're driving your car, when you're hanging out at the house, when you're having a bad day or a good day, God is still God. He's still in charge. And you should have an intimate relationship with God to be a disciple of Jesus. Intimacy. Um, I share with you already, Jesus would go alone to spend time with God. The second thing I would encourage you to do is to pray to God and to listen to God. Both those are prayer, but a lot of times we think prayer is all about us saying what we want. But prayer is as much about listening to what the Lord has to say as anything. Jesus said, who are my brother and my, my mother and my sisters? Those who obey the will of the Father. How can we possibly know what God wants if we don't listen? So part of our life, our intimacy, being a disciple, should be to talk to God and listen to God. I've heard people who are, I respect greatly who say they should, they should be like 50, 50. You should talk. If you have devotion time or prayer time or whatever you do, you should talk half of it at most and then just stop talking and listen. Give him your undivided attention. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And then get his instruction. God is... Um, and, 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 you know, interacting with us in those ways and through prayer, he will reveal things in our hearts that we need to hear from him. That's one way. The second thing is we can hear the words of Jesus. And the most efficient way we can hear the words of Jesus is not to go out and stand on some mountaintop and hum or meditate and wait for Jesus to speak something directly, but to read the words he's already given us through Scripture. I've, I've heard a great sermon. I would love to preach some time on this reality that Jesus himself, when rebuking people, would point to Scripture, not to his own authority, even though he had authority. He would say, have you not read? Do you not know? And to think of the audacity of someone to stand apart from Scripture and say, well, that's fine. God revealed himself through the Bible, but I want him to tell me something special over here without first listening to what he's saying over here is insulting, isn't it? I mean, if I take the time to write you a letter and I say, man, here's all the things that you really need to know and I write them and I'm careful, I preserve them and I give them to you, I wrap them up and I give them to you and you leave them in a box and you say, I'm not hearing nothing from you. What does that, what does that say about us? So the second way to be a disciple is to hear the words of Jesus through the Bible. And by the way, when I say the words of Jesus, I mean the entirety of Scripture because it's all the revealed Word of God, right? I don't know if your Bible's like mine. It has some red words and some black words. They're all God's words. And we shouldn't dishonor God by elevating some and, you know, um, de-elevating de others. We should listen to what the Lord has said through Scripture. Huge deal. And then the third thing is to interact with others who are doing the same thing in their life. Interact with other people who are learning from Jesus. And there's a beautiful thing about interacting with disciple to disciple because you don't either one have to know for sure, but you're learning together. Well, you know, that's interesting, but I, I, I've heard this and I think this is interesting and you interact together. And I believe that those three things keep us from going off in the ditch as we follow God. If you take any one of those things out, you can end up way out in the weeds 
But if you have those three things in your life of praying and listening to God, of opening and reading his Bible, and of interacting with others who are trying to be disciples of Jesus also, um, you will have a, a life of learning about God that will, will be, um, you know, good. Be good. All right. That's the first thing, disciples. Now, that was the most that the, the Bible has to say. So there's um, more about disciples than anything else. All of us are invited to be disciples. Here's the second thing. We're called to be witnesses or testifiers, okay? And this is mentioned in the New Testament 55 times. So significantly less than disciple-making or discipling. Um, to be witnesses is mentioned 55 times, uh, a rough count, according to uh, my math in the New Testament. Um, this word is funny to call. I couldn't think of a common vernacular for a witness. Um, testifier was one. I thought of example, um, things that we just do because of what we know. The things that we just do because of what we see or what we believe. That's another word I thought about putting in there, believers. Witnesses are believers, you know, it's not just that you witness things as in you see things that are being done, but you witness as in those others, in the way that others see you. Does that make sense? So you're a disciple of Jesus, but then others are seeing you and you are witnessing to them through your life. Um, a great friend of mine has said often that uh, careful how you live your life, you might be the only Bible anyone else ever reads. And what she means is that the way we behave in our lives says a lot about the God that we serve to those who are never going to open a Bible or darken the door of a church, that they watch us, and therefore we are witnesses. This is another one that's for everyone. Um, we're called the witnesses. So how do we become witnesses? Well, the first is that it's the result of being with Jesus. So you become a witness because you've been with Jesus. Um, this is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8. It says, when, then Jesus said to him, see, this is the guy that he healed. He said, see that you do not tell anyone, but go show yourselves to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony, that's the word, or a witness to them. Jesus had done the miraculous work in this man's life, and he said, I want you to go and I want you to bear witness to the results of what I've done. To the, and by the way, to these particular people, Jesus wanted it revealed. I want them to see what I have done. And so therefore in our own lives, um, as followers of Jesus, we, we are um, truth bearers in that way. Others can watch us and see. And we shouldn't, by the way, um, hide the things that Jesus has done. I talked to you earlier today about it being uh, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. I believe that one of the great powers that the devil uses to keep people from healing through the matter of abortion is silence. I heard someone this week said, I'm speaking up for my abortion. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's awesome. Because they believe enough to, to, to be willing to share their experience. They believe the gospel enough to share their experience. They're being a witness. Witnessing is interesting because you're not even saying it's what it's going to be for you. It's saying this is what God has done for me. This is just all I'm bearing witness to what God has done in my life. And because of that, um, being a witness it has a lot to do with being transparent, being willing to be open to others. You don't have to be open to everyone all the time. I think it's kind of effective to be open at the right time. But when's that moment when you're set with somebody and you know they're struggling with something you struggle with, right? And you're in a private, you're in a coffee shop, and you're like, and they're just going, man, I'm, bleh, and they're just letting you out, you know? And, and the Holy Spirit, right, is just saying, I delivered you through this. Do you remember those days? Do we have the courage to witness in that moment and say, you know what? 
I remember whenever Jesus brought me through that same situation. I remember the hurt. I remember the pain. I remember the, the, the deliverance. I remember what God did. I remember his redeeming. Because that's an awesome opportunity that we have to bear witness. The other place I'm going to ask you to turn to actually uh, Acts chapter 1. Because this is where we get the, a real great connection uh, between being a witness and um, evangelizing, which we'll get to last. Acts 1 chapter 8. Jesus said to them, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth, right? I love that this is a, a command in fact. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, which is awesome because it means that when God works in our lives, we truly can't hide it. I mean, we'll have to fight to hide the work of God in our lives because the Holy Spirit will cause us to bear witness. This is what's funny actually about Peter whenever he says, always have an answer for everyone that asks you a question. Like, that's kind of a funny thing, isn't it? But what he's working off is the same idea there that the Holy Spirit has moved in your life and people are going to notice the difference. So have an answer when they ask. Why are you different? Jesus has saved me. Jesus has delivered me. I'm learning from Jesus. I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner like you. I make mistakes. I still make mistakes. But God is in it. He is redeeming me. He's redeeming his people. We have opportunities just to witness the truth of what we've gone through. I just love that. He says, um, you will be, and you will be my witnesses in all the earth. That something about the way that God reveals himself to the earth, to the whole world, is through his church, the big C church, those he's redeeming. That's part of his revelation to the world, that you'll be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit is on you. Okay? Being a witness also just means acknowledging what we have seen, heard, known, or experienced. That's all it means. And I say that because a lot of times, this is the word that people mess up in church, and they'll say, are you going to go witness to people? And that really means are you going to go evangelize, right? But we use them interchangeably. Are you going to go out and witness today? And so it becomes something we have to do, and we get afraid of it. And we say, oh, I don't want to go out and witness today. Let me tell you something. If you claim Jesus is your Savior, if you believe he died to forgive your sins and was raised from the dead, you have the Holy Spirit living in you, and you will be his witness that means at work or at school, in your home, in your community, you are his witness. You see things, you hear things, but people see you and hear you. And it's not something we go and we do. It's who we are if we know Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. We are his witnesses. Now, troubling as it is, there is true and false witnesses. And this is recorded in the Gospels as well. You know, you shall not bear false witness right? That's one of the commands that was recited back to Jesus. Do you know the law? Yeah, I know the law. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Jesus himself was accused by false witnesses. People being uh, um, uh, dishonest, I was going to say lying, testimony about him. And we therefore should be careful that we are only true witnesses. And I'll, I'll tell you two ways I think this works out in our life. The first way is that we, we shouldn't out and out lie about people or things, period. We just shouldn't lie. And lying includes overt lying, like, I'm going to do this on purpose. And lying means saying things that you don't know for a fact to be true, right? Um, one of the common ways this might happen is our email forwards. <laughs> we, we forward an email to 40 people, you know, and not the ones that say you'll be, you know, blessed if you do, but the ones that say, look out, there's a crisis, and we forward it, never asking if it's true or not. 
and we ultimately then bear false witness. That, that's a detriment to us as witnesses of Jesus. If we don't know it to be true, other ways we would have a conversation with someone, I heard about this situation. We call it gossip, but that's bearing false witness because you don't know for a fact what's happening. Bearing false witness. But the other way is, is to bear false witness, is, and this is a hard one now, I want you to hear me this morning, to get into a church environment and pretend that God has shown or revealed something to you that he has not shown or revealed to you, okay? <laughs> There's this weird power of like group think that happens where we get together and we say, oh, well, if so-and-so feels compelled to pray this way or talk this way or act this way, then I must pretend to be that same and I would put out to you that that's bearing false witness because you were only called to witness to the things that God has actually done in your life. And if you're like me, that gives great freedom as well. Because when someone says to you, oh, you haven't experienced that? No, I haven't not experienced that. I've experienced these other things in Jesus, but not that. that does that mean that that's absolutely outside of what's acceptable? No. But I'm not going to bear false witness about it. I'm going to only witness to the things that I know to be true. Jesus revealed himself through scripture. Jesus died for my sins. Jesus redeemed me from my sins. Jesus is calling me through the power of the Holy Spirit to a better life. I mean, these things that we share in common. Bear witness. And then if there's things, yeah, bear witness to what God's doing. That's your obligation as his witnesses. It says what? You'll receive the Holy Spirit and you will be my witness. I just love that because it allows like a broader spectrum of revelation from God's people. That we are his if we're called according to his purpose. And then the last, and I'll put this one up on the screen too. This is from Matthew 24. Um, Jesus says, uh, you will be uh, a proof to the nations, right? And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony, a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. Jesus says, this is what it's going to look like. My people, when we talk about the people who are sent out, you know, whether it's Matt Coons and his family or um, the Ficker family or um, uh, Mama Lane or all the others I'm not thinking of right now that have been sent out into the nations to preach the good news that they will become a, a testimony to all the nations of the gospel. And that ties in with this last point that we have um, evangelists. Oops, I pushed twice or missionaries. So this is the one I might get in trouble this morning for, so I hope you're still awake and paying attention. And if I'm wrong, we can come up later and say, oh, you're wrong, and I would love to have that conversation because I'm just a disciple like you and I'm learning, okay? But I, I was reading, and this is actually, let me see if I have it up here. I think, uh, yeah, I put it on the screens, right? So this is the, the main teaching. This is only, the word uh, evangelist um, as a noun is found three times in the New Testament, three times. Um, and this is the first one that comes to mind. This is the Apostle Paul, and he writes, it was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Now, some translations don't say some all the time like that. They just says he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I think that that matters because if you read what it says, it says he gave some to be evangelists. And I know this one saying I'll probably get some flack at some point, but I feel like we as a church have put a false burden 
on one another that all must, that we all must be Billy Graham. You know what I mean? We all must be out there. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to get a soapbox and stand on it. You know, we're going to, we are called to go to the nations. And I read a great, um, a great article about um, this idea of being a missionary. And they said, we've this, we've, we've not done the church to service by assuming that everyone's called to be a missionary, but everyone's called to be a witness. And there's a little bit of difference, you see, in those things. Um, the idea of being an evangelist is one who goes out with good news, right? The word means euangelion, to deliver good news. And there are some of us who are called, and I'm not saying us by me, by the way, I'm not trying to, but I'm saying there are some of us in this room who are called to be evangelists, to go out and to preach to the nations, and we should um, celebrate that gift among us. But I do think we do a disservice to the people of God when we presume that all should be evangelists, especially in the context of the body of Christ. The other two times that we see it mentioned is that there's, there's one called Philip in Acts 21 who is called the evangelist. Now, if everyone in the New Testament was supposed to be an evangelist, why would they say Philip the evangelist? Why differentiate Philip from anyone else? And then Timothy, in the book of Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 4, 5, it says, do the work, Paul says, of an evangelist. But he's writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, one that he knows intimately. He knows his gifts, his calling, his, his strengths. He's like, you, go do the work of an evangelist. Now, maybe some of you will think, you know, no, that's terrible. We want everyone to be evangelists so that more people can hear the gospel. I understand. I just don't want to put false burdens on people who are trying to follow Jesus as faithful disciples and witnesses or to make it less that someone is not a missionary or a preacher or a teacher, but only a witness in the world. I mean, come on. Dishonoring God by dishonoring his people. So those are three unique calls. I think that we can, are distinct calls, and I think we can kind of play with those, and hopefully that's helpful to you. My question for you, though, as we wrap up is this. What is Jesus calling you to today in your life, right? Like, what is he calling you to? Maybe he's calling you to be a disciple, you know? Like maybe you don't know about this Jesus thing. Definitely don't know about this church thing. No, don't know about this bill thing, you know? You're so far. Maybe Jesus is saying, hey, learn from me. Learn, talk to me. Read, read my word. L listen to others who are learning from me. Maybe that's the call for you today, to become a disciple of Jesus. And maybe it's that second thing, right, where we talked about the Holy Spirit. You believe that Jesus died for your sins, and you are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what the Word says. That if you believe he died for your sins, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you allow him to bear witness in your life? Do you resist that? Does that make you uncomfortable? What is it in your life that God is calling you to? I want to share. I think we went forward here. Let me see where I'm at. Oh, there we go. Jesus said these words in Revelation. Revelation 3. I love this because it's Revelation, so, you know, <laughs> it's a hard book. But I love the simple state at the beginning. Jesus says, look or behold, open your eyes. I, Jesus, stand at the door and knock. And then he says this, if anyone hears my voice, if anyone opens the door, look at the intimacy. I will come in and eat with him or her. And he or she will eat with me. I mean, that's the offer that Jesus makes. I'm knocking, and I'm waiting, and if anyone opens the door, I will come in and dine with you. What a gift. Pray with me, if you will. Father, 
we give you thanks and praise today uh, for the power of your revelation, uh, for the power of your name among all nations, for the great salvation that we have in our, our Savior Jesus Christ, and for the revelation, the gift that we get through the Holy Spirit. We pray, Father God, that we would have um, eyes to see and ears to hear what you're doing in our lives. And I, I pray right now for every person here, including myself, that we would fix our eyes on you and say, what do you have for me today? Where are you leading me today? Father, for your great um, word, we give you praise and thanks. For the opportunity to worship, we give you praise and thanks. And we pray that we would get this right. We pray that by your grace and through your mercy and constant discipleship and teaching, we would learn to be better followers, to be those that Jesus would point at and say, no, these are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. Like we want to be those today, Father. So would you show us? Would you continue to lead us? And not just in church on Sunday, and we thank you that we're here, but every day of our lives, wherever we are, pray that we would recognize the intimacy you've given us, the intimacy you've given us in Jesus' name. We'll give you thanks and praise for the work that you're doing and the way you're doing it. Amen.